Well, good evening, Brooklyn's Radio's listeners. This is Dan Henderson here, and I'm with the wonderful Rob Wilson, driver extraordinaire and driver trainer. Rob, how are you this morning, this beautiful sunny morning? Dan, we're at one with the world, and uh, yeah, and, and look at it, uh, a whole racetrack to use up, or a proving ground to use up, a fine Vauxhall, of course, envy of the, uh, of the paddock here, so uh, yeah, we're looking good. <laughs> I'm glad you got that plug in early oh, there. Because I know that will be the last chance. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, it's uh, of course fantastic to be here with you uh, at Bruntingthorpe Proving Ground and thanks ever so much for having me. Rob, I just want to uh, talk very quickly about sort of your journey um, uh, as a driver trainer or even as a driver initially. How did that all begin? Oh, the usual obsession started off in New Well, came from New Zealand. Didn't want to start there. I wanted to start where it was tougher, so, you know, as soon as I could afford to leave New Zealand, I flew here, and uh, luckily uh, there was an advertisement in Autosport magazine for uh, a racing school at Goodwood, which offered a, a half a dozen free Formula Ford races to the winner of a year-long contest down there with about 500 people, and so I won that, and uh, so there we were at the very bottom of the totem pole, um, and did, um, got the Formula Ford races, they went okay, and things just went along from there, um, gradually um, made it through, well, it raced Formula Fords, raced the next category up, and then Formula 3, uh, had some, you know, a few wins there, and had a Formula 1 super license, and would test some Formula 1 cars, uh, and so it went along very, very well uh, for a, a few years there. Uh, then uh, you get... To, after you've tested the Formula 1 cars, they make offers. Even back then, it was money-orientated, but and I got my first fright when um, I was uh, bought out of the Belgian Grand Prix on the Wednesday night before. You know, I was with Tyrrell, and, um, which is a, a well-known Formula 1 team then. And, um, and then uh, Michele Alboreto, who was an Italian driver, um, c- came along with a sponsor with a wadge of money on the Wednesday evening, and that was it. And then you, you know, you learned a few realities of racing. So, realizing that wasn't going to happen, I just carried on racing America, and made a, you know, a good living for, for you know, twenty or thirty years of of racing things outside Formula One. Um, and so that all, you know, that was fine. I had a lovely time. Nothing too grand. I do Le Mans a few times and Daytona. 24 hours, a lot of times, and Sebring 12 hours. These are well-known races, and then all stops in between. Yeah, great. I mean, that's, what, what a way to, to start your uh, racing career. Obviously, um, more so now you're into the driver training, the coaching. Um, how did that come about off the back of um, you and your, your racing pedigree? Well, it was, it's always been of interest to me, the art and craft of it, uh, the engineering, the way you drove cars and so on. And um, we... Uh, we were uh, there's a Formula Three team that was formed called Bowman Racing, which which morphed into a team called Carlin, which then has morphed into a team called Double R. Um, I think you, you, you've met uh, Boyo who who owns that. And so back at the end of the 80s, um, I was testing these Bowman cars, uh, Formula Three, and then watching the drivers. It was the Brabham family, actually sons of Jack Brabham, who were racing, and I was watching them thinking. You know, they could improve a little bit if they did this or that or the other. So I talked to them back in the pits. We thought, oh, you know, let's... I was I was a decade older than them, so I'm not a threat to them. And um, so we, we rented a car. Whoops, no, we didn't. We borrowed a car <laughs> and went to uh, 
Goodwood and spent the day down there. Um, and then I would do a lap time. It might be a little quicker than theirs. And then we started working on what's the difference. So over the past 30 years, um, we, we've um, it's just become more and more finessed. Um, and, and we've found it's quite useful to be able to do it in a road car um, because you can talk while you're lapping. The physics are the same. Um, and the penalties are quite big if you go wrong because with a racing car it's a bit it all happens uh, a bit too quickly and, and you know uh, um, it's more connected to your brain but you can't feel it quite as well so the road car gives us a, um, a good feel so I just started doing that and um, and over the the decades uh, it's got to a point where you know it was ten of the current half of the Formula One field come here, half of the IndyCar field America, and all, again uh, people from virtually every discipline are here. I mean, how did that come about? Obviously you're working with the pinnacle of uh, motorsport being Formula One how did that, um, as I say how did that come about that you, you started working with Formula One drivers? Well, when we started it was it was Formula Three drivers, which at that point in the 80s, people didn't realised needed coaching. They thought they were light bulbs. You plug them in, they're professional drivers, and, and they worked. But then we found, no, we can do it. Now, those drivers went into Formula One, a percentage of those. And so then word got around, and so then it started reversing its way back from Formula One. They, they, would, they would just call. Um, I never advertised it. The phone number's not out there. There were no emails in those days, and even now no one has that. Uh, it's always someone in the industry knows someone. And they would come along, and we would start working, and yeah, we'd find there would be little little techniques that we could introduce. Um, and of course, the the good thing about racing, it's not like music or looking at pictures or, or looking at some portrait or a painting, because which is subjective as to what's good. With racing, you 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 are against the stopwatch, so there's a simplicity to it. I do this, I get that. You can measure it, and when it measurably people became better. Um, they started turning up at the doorstep. Yeah. Now, of course, you, we've mentioned that you work with with F1 drivers. You also work with you know a number of other categories. Um, do you feel that um, the drivers that you work with, that maybe the lower categories, are potential uh, Formula One? I'm not champions, but Formula One drivers. You know, in in the near future. Oh yeah, <clears throat> because there's categories below. Immediately below is it's called GP2. And then uh, just below that, there's two categories, GP3 and Formula 3. And there are categories below that as well. And you can pretty much extrapolate what you see after a couple of days with somebody. Yes, you can do this. Um, so, so, yes, we, we can pretty much see the next group of 10 Formula 1 drivers that will come through. And that must be quite exciting from your point of view. Oh, it's terrific because you start with them, you know, uh, they're, they're quite young, some of them. And, yeah, you see them go all the way through Formula 3, GP3, GP2, Formula 1 drivers. And they still keep coming back even when they're in F1. Great. I mean, just in terms of the F1 drivers that you work with, who, um, you know, from your point of view, is um, sort of the most naturally, uh, naturally talented driver? Um, I think... Um, uh, certainly, at his peak, and still, I be- believe in him was, was Kimi Raikkonen. I think he um, he definitely had a, a has a, a feel for the surface, and it's very important 
to to get that relationship with the surface. So if if your if your body has got a bit of flex in it, you've got a bit of flex in your joints. If you uh, um, and you can communicate to the surface, uh, you can almost go straight through the car. You become at one with the car, uh, and then the car becomes at one with the surface, and then you become at one with the surface. So you can almost transcend the car with the rate that you move your body. It's incredibly important. Let's just talk about um, a local team to uh, Brooklyn's Radio um, in McLaren. Um, have you done any work with Jensen Button? Um, no, I haven't. And, and a number of the teams uh, don't say who's been here, but, um, and then a number do. They're quite happy to. Um, so uh, uh, there's been involvement with McLaren. With, with um, you know, They have a junior driver program and, and so on. So there's a number of drivers that we've worked with over the years um, down there. I know Jensen has sent people up here because they you know, the people who know him and such like. Uh, although M- McLaren does their own thing and a lot of the teams just do their own thing. Um, there are people who are more public about it. Um, Force India, Williams, those people have been more public about it. But uh, McLaren does things in its own way, you know, very effectively. Yeah, and do you um, do you work with these guys just on their off season, or do they come sort of halfway through the season? I know they're you know particularly long breaks. Um, you know, if they're uh, they're from Europe to to Asia, etc. There's you know three weeks off. Will they maybe come to you with with a, a particular issue? Uh, or is it just off season and that's it? No, it's not just off season. It's um, it, it, it's random, but it's all year long. Um, and so they will come sometimes, you know, between Grand Prix races, um, and, and certainly in the off season, of course. Although um, I, I occasionally pop out to Australia. There's, there's a series out there, the Australian V8 Supercar V8 series, and so I do a number of those drivers: uh, Argentina, America. Sometimes we're, we're um, in Florida or west coast of America. There's, the weather's still good, so I'll do a little bit of that over winter. Uh, but by and large, I try and get them to come here off-season, on-season, all the time. It must be quite nice for you working with such a high calibre of sportsmen. And I'm not just talking about you know, the F1, the GP2 guys. They're obviously highly talented. The Formula 3, they must be super, super talented. It must be fantastic from your point of view. Um, yes, it is good because uh, yeah, I'm a, a lover of talent. You've got to love talent doing, doing this job here. Uh, but then again, it's not even those. Every now and then, there's a few what they call these days gentleman drivers. There are people who don't do it for a living but are very good, and you'll find them in the Le Mans 24 Hours and races like that as well. So you work with those as well, which is, uh, which is a, a slightly different culture. But we try and get them up to the highest standard you can. So not just uh, that uh, the absolute peak people, but people who like to get to the peak or did something else with their lives and got to the age of 38, 40, even older, and then they can afford to do it, you know, um, something they couldn't do as, as kids. And so we get stuck in with them, and, and you get some remarkably good results from people who you know, didn't make it to Formula 1 or didn't make it to a, a works Le Mans team, a factory Le Mans team, but end up doing Le Mans and you know, winning their classes and things in those races, and it means the world to them. Now let's talk about um, a driver who um, is obviously not in racing at all, and that is myself. Uh, Rob, we're going to head out on the track um, today. Um, you're going to uh, teach me what you teach the uh, the F1 drivers, the GP2 drivers, etc. What um, what do you feel um, will be good results for you today, or is it about you seeing me drive first? 
Uh, no, we will be obviously seeing you drive uh, first. I'll know how big or small the job is. We'll know within a, a lap or two. But we'll, we'll, I will do the same day as I do with the Formula One driver. Same car um, and the same track, same instructions. Now, whether we, whether we get to the very far end of it and put you in a Formula One car by 4 o'clock this afternoon... We don't know, you know. I mean, this could be a latent talent that's just been <laughs> waiting for this day. Um, but um, uh, so now I'll get a feel, and then when you drive, I'll get a feel for, for you know for it. We'll think yes, you tell the car too abruptly or not at all, or and there'll be certain skill sets we'll try and put in there. We'll see if you can heel and toe uh, with downshifts. We'll um, and just find out what your values are, which uh, I, I won't know. Until yep. we could go, we have no idea yet. But wherever we are, we'll go forward. It all sounds a bit technical. I haven't started yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we are sat um, here. A beautiful day. Um, shall we head out on the track? Let's go. Let's go. All right, well, listen, we are going to be back um, uh, with more interviews, with more chat with Rob a little bit later um, after I've been on, on track. Rob's going to take me around. He's going to show me what... Uh, what the deal is, what the corners are, the braking, the acceleration points, the turning points, etc. Um, and, uh, well, uh, let's strap up and let's get on with it. OK, so we're out on track here, Rob. Um, I'm in the passion seat, you're driving. Um, and we are making our way round to the start-finish line. We're going to time this lap, aren't we? We're going to time. I'll, I'll, I'll do one lap and we'll put a lap time in it. It should be reasonably representative. And then, when you're driving, we'll... Start as well. We'll find out what your lap time is to start with, and then we'll see how things progress during the day. So, is the plan today for me to um, get as close to your lap time as possible? It is. Yes, your racing career is about to begin, so we we need we need the fact. I, this is a childhood uh, childhood dream. I've always wanted to be a racing driver, Rob. Well, I think by four o'clock today, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll see how we're looking, and uh, obviously. If the talent is there, and I get a feeling it is, then we'll get on the telephone straight away and start marketing you. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Nico Rosberg's contract is up at the end of the year, to, actually. How about that? Could be even sooner if this keeps up. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. OK, so uh, we're coming up to the last corner. Second to last corner. Second to last corner. Um, we are at 5,000 RPM at the moment, and this is the last corner. And the tyres are screaming around. And okie dokie. And three, two, where? Uh, sorry, so on my right. So we are now. Okie dokie. This corner here, it's about 105 miles an hour. It's taken flat out. In we go, turn like so. And then near that cone on the right, that's a braking cone. Coming up to a hairpin now, gently on the brakes, firm lighter, so right-handed before the hairpin, similar to Lowe's hairpin at Monaco, we go around here we get the car slightly flat, we guide lift and turn a long right-hander here that we just hold the inside for a while make the gear shift, get the weight out of the car you feel we do almost a diagonal to the outside of the track, which takes the weight out of the car and accelerates better here we go on the other side of the barrier here second gear right-hander and then a nice short corner through these S's, which are taken flat out, but we try to get a little f- flat spot there in the in the corner to let the car accelerate between a couple of cones here, 
and we turn, 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 turn out oh, just between those cones there. A nice flat run down to the chicane down here, which is very similar to the Suzuka chicane in Japan. And then there's a cone that'll tell us brake here. I'll go gentle firm on the brakes, down decreasing the pressure on the pedal. They're 10% throttle just to transfer the weight out. Sit on this side of the track, and I'll explain why for a later. And then we'll move over to our our track width here, which is good, except let's just Sergio Perez, who always cheats and makes it wider. Then we go turn, third gear, and then a, another tight right-hander to complete the lap here. You can get on the curb, but don't go oh, oh, too much on the inside of it because it can break the wheel. With its, a bit like Austria, so we'll avoid that. And then here's the end of our lap coming up here. And we get a lap time. It should be yeah, 149.9. What I think as the day goes by, uh, we could be looking at something about a 49.0. But 49.9 will do now. That's pretty representative. That was pretty fast, Rob. Um, felt like the wheels were going to fall off. <laughs> well, it's, it's a bit of an assault on the senses when you, you first go out. you know. Uh, and then after a while, it takes on a normality. The main thing is not to have corners going on for too long because cars prefer not to go around corners. You know that, that slows them down. So you make the corners as short as you possibly can. Okay, okay. So the plan from here is to uh, park up, explain a few bits and bobs, and then for me to jump in the uh, driver's seat. Correct. That's absolutely right. We'll do a cool down lap for the car. It's a normal box Lastra. They they're fantastic for this job here. We use normal brakes. Uh, it's just as it comes off the production line and so we just cool them down for a, a lap and, and because it's they'll never get any treatment like that ever on the road in fact even during the test programs you know we, we tend to work the cars harder than than the, the test teams ever do well this is going to be a real challenge uh, as i said that was uh, pretty fast i was being thrown around i wasn't quite uh I wasn't feeling ill, so that's good. Um, but, um, yeah, I think I've got my work cut out today. I don't think so. I think I can just tell by looking. You're going to be just fine. <laughs> we shall see. We will, uh, we will speak to you a little bit later. I'll be in the passenger seat and, um, yeah, well, let's see how I get on. Well, you'll be in the driving seat. I'll be in the driving seat. You're right. Well, here we are, Rob. We've parked up underneath an aircraft, a refueling aircraft, actually. Um, uh, we've been out um, with me in the driver's seat. How am I doing so far? Now, we're doing just fine. I mean, you have the advantage because yourself uh, being a, a tennis player, amongst other things, uh, you know, you're already coordinated. Uh, you do heel and toe, which is for the downshifts, which is a very good thing to have. takes the lumps and bumps out of a downshift because if we can feel the join in a downshift, it's 150 kilos coming off the rear wheels for sure and that just makes your braking distance longer so you're already doing that um, and on the fast corners you're already flat out around there which people have to think about for a bit there so that part of it is is excellent um, you are showing a fairly normal tendency with people who imagine that the highest speed you can go highest minimum speed you can get in a corner that's the way to do it but of course that just makes the corners go on for too long so we're, you're looking for really high speed uh, um uh, in the middle of the corners, which is actually a little bit too much, and your tendency is to is to come off the brakes um, a little bit too suddenly, where and and then that takes weight off the nose of the car, and that causes what they call understeer or push if it's in America, which means the car is just not following its nose as well. 
and the corner, of course, goes on for much too long then, and, and we tend to run a little bit wide. So what we're going to do is just get you... Uh, don't be afraid to come off the brake a little more slowly as you're guiding the car into the corner so that we can get direction change, and that's the little bit we're missing at the moment is direction change. So I, I, when I drive it, I've got the car pointed on the next straight in a shorter period of time, and that's what we're going to look for with you. Because you want the car pointing forwards, not sideways. That's right. For, and, and when they're going round corners, they're just not going forward. And, and if you go on a constant geometric U-turn, you know, uh, and which, which is the case on certain corners, but not all of them, uh, the corner's just going on for so long with tyre scrub in the car. So it's the time between the corners we've got to find. Yeah, now we've uh, timed a couple of laps, although a little bit scrappy. Um, yeah. We're not quite down at the 149 of, uh, uh, that you set, yes. but, um, but time has been coming down. It's very, very good because we, uh, I did a 49.9, only just a 49. Uh, you're on a 156.4 at the moment, so we've got six and a half seconds to go. We did a scrappier lap after that, a few little mistakes, and then immediately uh, went up to a two-minute lap, so it's very easy to lose the time. It'll also become a little harder to start chipping away at the top, we won't make the big gains we made, you know, because getting down to the 156 that you did, um, it came quite quickly. And now we're into salami slicing now a little bit, and it will, and you, you definitely will get there, however. And so right now, uh, we're six and a half seconds to go, but the day's only just un- begun, and, and we're going to get a result here. Well, the track's nice and dry, the sun is shining, so, well, we're going to head back out there and um, see if I can salami slice a few more seconds. Exactly. Well, uh, we've had a fantastic morning here at Bruntingthorpe Aerodrome, proving ground with uh, driver extraordinaire, Rob Wilson. Rob, um, how's it going? How am I doing so far? Well, we're moving forward very, very well. Obviously, as we said before, your general coordination, uh, because you are a sportsman anyway, is, is there. Uh, all your feet are working well. And you drive a car as much with your feet as you do with your hands. And, and, and your footwork uh, it, it works. Your concept of going around the corner is still to be worked on a little bit. They have to tidy it up, trying to go a little bit too fast around them, whereas we're going for direction change. However, that last run... We, it, the last one just started to, to not only go into your brain but come out your hands and your feet and much more ordered, much better direction change. Uh, we'd done a 156.4 and now I think we're down to a 54.3, is it? Two. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> Quite right. 154.2. So that's fully... I mean, we're getting closer to the time now. We know we're looking for a, um, a, just a very high 1 minute 49. Um, so now we're only 4.3 seconds away from pole. We were six seconds. We were a bit more than that. And uh, so, and the you know the pole position is now in sight. So I think as long as we just keep concentrating on tidying up, coming off the brake a little bit slower, I think will be the next thing that we want to see happening. We are really moving forward. We will have a proper result by the end of the day. It's um it's a real um a real sort of jigsaw puzzle putting things together, isn't it? Yes, indeed, because there's a combination of wanting to be the world's latest breaker, wanting to be on the throttle before anyone else, wanting to corner faster than anybody else, but there are so many other little things that are important. You, you have to know, you have to get on the throttle at a certain rate. You have to come off the brakes in a certain way. You have to place a value on the rotation of the car rather than just being fast around corners because 
Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's easy to do. You've got to be relatively brave to do that, and you've certainly got that sorted out, no problem, on the fast corners. People often say, oh, well, I'm really good on the fast corners. Yeah, but, of course, what we say to them is that that's good, but there's a lot less to do on a fast corner. You're not, you're not introducing the car to the brakes. You're not doing downshifts. Uh, you know, you're not trying to get the car to rotate. You, you've got to get, you're not having to judge how when the throttle goes on, it, you know, how to get weight out of the car for, its, for the best acceleration. So the, the slower corners, um, there's a lot more involved than just going fast around a fast corner. Good, though, you have to be to do that. Now, we are going to refuel ourselves. Uh, I think the, uh, the Vauxhall Astra's got enough fuel in itself, but uh, a bit of refuel for ourselves. We're off for lunch, and we're going to get back out on the track later on and try and uh, get, uh, get down to that 149. We're going to eat everything. <laughs> we'll be back later this afternoon with uh, more sizzling lap times, hopefully. Be back later. Well, good evening once again, Brooklyn's Radio's listeners. Dan Henderson here with the wonderful Rob Wilson. Uh, the day has concluded, Rob. Um, fantastic day. Thanks ever so much. Uh, Dan, thoroughly enjoyable, and I think you're a great example of, of how someone can do stuff that, that uh, wasn't necessarily on the radar, but you get someone like yourself who's, who's balanced, coordinated, you know, sporting, obviously, through your, your tennis playing and, and, and other things, and... The, 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 the improvements as the day went on was, was, were absolutely terrific. And we could get you right down onto the time if we took the time. Now, we haven't uh, let everybody know what the, uh, the final time was. We know that you did a, a 49.9 uh, first, uh, first part of the day. Then you managed a 47.5, I think. Um, what was my final time, uh, the last lap of the day? Uh, the fa- last lap of the day was 1 minute 50.2. So we're looking at 2.7 seconds to find now and so those salami slices that we mentioned earlier they uh, they did start coming off didn't they oh they did because you think to all these tiny little things really make a difference and this of course is the simplicity of motor racing that it's always the lie detector is always running you know the lap timer is there and we do something and we get an advantage or we get a disadvantage you can tell straight away it's quite simple now, talking about um, you know, motor racing and, and, and sport as, as, a, as a general now, how much um, physically and mentally does uh, sort of is the split in terms of um, what a driver needs to do in all, sort of mentally or physically? Is it a 50-50 split, do you think, or is it maybe an 80-20? From your point of view, what, what do you think? Do you mean in terms of physical fitness versus... Oh. Absolutely. Well, physical fitness, yeah, that's important. It, um, one doesn't want to overdo it. I mean, a lot of the drivers these days ha- have no physique at all and, and don't have the strength. They're trained for the job, I think possibly overtrained in a number of ways. Um, I think mentally, I suppose you'd, you'd call it, well, there's a hundred and a hundred, aren't there? You've got to be physically fit and you've got to be mentally fit. And so much of it, I find, is from the brain that you're, you are staring death in the face, but you've got to move your body in a certain way. And uh, and being able to do that under pressure is the big thing, and that's that's mental. It's all from your brain, and doing that clearly being physically fit helps. Now, we, you mentioned that um, you know shaving off even more time, from my point of view, would be a possibility. Um, how long would that take if we were to continue working together? And, and from a driver's point of view, are they looking at um, you, you know shaving time off, you know, really quickly, or is it a process for them one season to the, the next, maybe? 
No, they're looking to do it very, very quickly because so many of the drivers that, that come here are on that, that career path or are already there uh, in, in Formula 1, and they'd like to see an instant uh, result. Um, it it needs more than that one day, though, because it, it's not just something you do. It's got to be something that you are, and you need to be doing it over and over and over again so that it works in all circumstances all of the time. And natural ability obviously comes into play. Oh, natural ability is is a, a bonus to start with for sure, although it's often a danger sign that if someone is a complete natural that they tend to rely on their car control, their ability to outdrive people, get themselves out of trouble, and so on. Whereas, whereas uh, you'll get a technician who may not be the ultimate nat- uh, natural driver, say someone like Nicky Lauda, versus Ronnie Peterson back in the in the seventies, uh, where Ronnie was a complete natural, Nicky was a technician, and Ronnie was faster for some time until. Uh, Nicky got on top of his game and made the car do the work and it was Nicky who won the world championship three times yeah I mean out there myself you can just feel when the car is doing its job when you get that braking zone correct when you get the the acceleration point the steering you merge it all together it's 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 a it's a harmony isn't it it's a harmony you don't want to be relying on your reflexes your reactions because every time you do that your survival instinct kicks in because you think, oh, I just got away with it. It doesn't matter who it is. And, and I do all the rally drivers as well, so you know, we know what car control people are. And, but if you rely on that, you know, then the next corner you're going to go a little bit slower to get over yourself. So you, you don't want to be reacting to events. You want to have everything manipulated going in so there's nothing left to react to. Mm. Let's just have a quick chat about the Formula One season currently. What are your thoughts on uh, the, uh, the happenings so far, um, nine races in? Well, clearly Mercedes have just got the dominant car and, and engine, and, and they, you know, it's just so hard to beat them. The people are creeping up on them, but they have been dominant now. What two and a half years? Is it that long now? And um, yes, just such a clever, clever team. Um, Red Bull uh, are showing signs now of. of um, it's often agreed that they have the best chassis, but they're a little light on horsepower. Uh, but they will challenge in places. Ferrari were better in Austria the last race than what they appeared because they got wrong-footed in one or two things with Sebastian uh, getting his blowout and, and Kimi with a pit stop that dropped him from a you know, comfortable um, second place to sixth and leaving him with two Red Bulls to overtake. Um, and that slowed him. Plus, uh, yes, so it took a little while to uh, do that. He also took his time getting past Jensen Button at the start. Once once the car was in clear air and running, it was a very fast car. Mm. Now, we know that Nico Rosberg has been uh, incredibly dominant um, this season. Um, is it now his championship to lose? Uh, not really. Um, you, you know, when he attempts, you know, I think he's under quite a lot of threat there. When he attempts to be as clever as Lewis i.e., you know, uh, uh, no one turns right till I turn right, um, then he just seems to be a bit clumsier than Lewis. Lewis does it in a very, very subtle way, and uh, it's just viewed as hard driving. Um, when Nico does it, you know, there's, a, there's, there's an outrage. Is at a Spa a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, Austria didn't appear to turn the steering wheel at all for uh, some distance into the corner. So it was a bit too obvious. Uh, no, I think it's going to be a a complete battle, and he's by no means 
going to be, uh, there's no coronation here for the championship for him. Yeah, now let's talk about uh, a young driver who's already had his first win, being moved up to the uh, Red Bull team in Max Verstappen. Mm. How good is he? I think very, very, very good. Um, he's very clever. Uh, is he going to be another Jody Schechter, who got one world title in um, 1979, started off with a bang and very fast? Um, or is he going to go on for more than that? Um, I think he's got Daniel Ricciardo, his teammate, a little bit rattled at the moment. He does go for shorter corners, Daniel slightly longer corners, and so he's showing remarkable maturity and, and a great style. Um, he's been out-qualified five races to zero by his, by Ricardo, uh, but in the race, it just, it's gone his way, I think, that's only three, three times for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, absolutely, I completely agree with you there. Um, I, I mean, let's just talk a little bit more about Formula One in terms of the development of, of the vehicles and uh, the sport what are your views on, on the way Formula One is going? Um, I think it's a little bit too complex, massively expensive to to do um, it, it is the peak of racing so it, it, it's got to have things like that but I think they've rather overdone it, it's just costing so much money, you need to be a, a major manufacturer to be able to afford to do the development work there and I, I wish they would simplify it. Next year, they're planning to make the cars even faster, which is, you know, they want to see the lap times come back since they've got relatively soft engines these days. But it, that sounds like a mistake as well because then, then the, the, there won't be that variation in the cornering speed. You know, people can't tell whether the car is, is going three or four seconds faster or slower when it's going faster, or in the wet it's obviously going a lot slower. You know, but you get some fantastic races. So uh, we cannot seem to get them to say, right, let's cut the aerodynamics. You know, but it's because, I don't know why, but they just seem blind to it. But whereas if the aerodynamics were cut, you know, cars would stay closer behind other ones on, on corners. And they have to have this synthetic sort of racing, give them DRS zones, you know, allowing w- wings to open and a variety of things. So uh, also it needs more atmosphere. Baku had atmosphere. Um, you go see what happened when the Indy cars went back to Road America last week for the first time in a few years. Massive crowd, massive atmosphere because it was a proper racetrack. Whereas the modern ones appear to be speed venues, you know, with massive runoff areas, and um, and then a committee deciding whether you've run off the road or not. Uh, you know, I think it needs to be uh, it needs to engage the people a little bit more. We could see it. Do you think it's going to change in the next, you know? two, three, five years maybe? Not in a hurry because uh, everyone's a bit too comfortable. They then put those extra high curbs in at, um, at, at in Austria last weekend, or those extra bumpier curbs, which were breaking suspensions and things. Well, in a way that's good because it stops people uh, running out over them, but you know, a barrier would do. Okay, well, a final thought then. Obviously, we've had a, an absolutely fantastic day here. It's been a, a huge pleasure to be with you. Uh, last question: Has my racing career begun? Oh, I, I think we're we're midway uh, <laughs> through. You're going to parachute your way and halfway up the categories there. I think yeah. it was remarkable talent, and um, I expect this will be the last time you'll have time to do a radio program. <laughs> you flatter me. <laughs> you're going to make some phone calls for me. Oh, as, as soon as you're out the door, I'll be I'll be telling everyone exactly <laughs> what I think of you. Which is a great deal, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thanks ever so much for speaking with us on Brooklyn's Radio. And um, 
you know, let's get back here one day and uh, shave even more time from the 150.2. Thanks ever so much, Rob. Thank you, Dan. You'll be welcome.